Welcome to Sexual Health Matters, Let's Get Clinical. We acknowledge that the land that we are recording on is the traditional land of the Kaurna people, and we honour their ongoing spiritual and cultural relationship with their country. We pay respects to the Kaurna elders past and present. We also extend our acknowledgement to the traditional custodians of all the lands across Australia and pay our respects to all Aboriginal elders past and present. Hello and welcome to this episode of Sexual Health Matters, Let's Get Clinical. My name is Pauline Kassar and I'm a nurse, a midwife and a clinical workforce educator at Shine SA. HIV rates in Australia and some groups, particularly men who have sex with men, have been declining in recent years, largely due to the availability of PEP and PrEP, post-exposure prophylaxis and pre-exposure prophylaxis. PrEP became available on the PBS in 2018, and by the end of that year, over 18,000 people, of whom 99% were men, were receiving PBS-subsidised PrEP. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Carol Kaur, sexual health physician from the Adelaide Sexual Health Centre, and GP Dr. Lane Hinchcliffe, a doctor who has spent a lot of time in the country and prescribing PEP and PrEP. We'll be discussing how you as a GP can safely prescribe PEP and PrEP, as we know that they have made a huge impact on reducing the rates of HIV transmissions. Hi, Carol and Lane, and thanks for joining us today. Start by asking you, Carol, to give us a bit of a background on the current rates of HIV in Australia and the groups that are at the highest risk of becoming infected with HIV. Thank you, Pauline. Uh, I think that's a really important question so that it will give us some perspective with regards to PEP and PrEP. If you look at the 2017 studies by Kirby, men who have sex with men still constitute the majority of HIV risk exposure in Australia. It's about 63%. And heterosexual sex is probably about 23, 25%. And interestingly, if you are MSM and if you've had intravenous drug use, it's 5%. But intravenous drug use itself is only 3%. And the reason for that is because we're lucky here in Australia, we've got a good needle exchange program, as we all know. The other important thing that I would like to actually state is that the prevalence is extremely low in females involved in sex work, and uh, it's about 0.03 per 100 persons. The concerning group basically at the moment are really the overseas born MSM. We find that there is late diagnosis, there are higher rates basically of HIV and especially those born in sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia and Central America. So the key points, HIV diagnosis, particularly here in South Australia is greatest in MSM, but the numbers have actually decreased in MSM over the four years in the past because of PrEP. However, the number of MSM born overseas have not actually decreased as far as the diagnosis of HIV is concerned. And if you have a look basically at some of our statistics, the females who were diagnosed with HIV over the past four years, most of them or almost all of them were not Australian born. So they were from basically countries like Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. So just to let you know, last year in Adelaide Sexual Health, there were 10 females who were actually diagnosed with HIV. None of them were actually born in Australia. So how effective is PEP and PrEP in reducing HIV transmission? I think one has to put things into perspective in that PEP and PrEP are just part of the many HIV prevention tools. 
And you've got to remember these other HIV prevention tools include condoms and male circumcision in some countries, treatment as prevention, vaccines, and perhaps some of the behavioral interventions as well as STI treatments and microbiocides. So it's only basically part of the package in HIV prevention. However, it gives people choice, and that's really very, very important. So if I can just start off with non-occupational post-exposure prophylaxis, I think most people know that if it started within the first 72 hours, it's incredibly effective, particularly sooner the better. And this was found to be about 81% protection with regards to human studies. Now, PEP is continued for 28 days, but there are no prospective human studies to determine why it is effective in that. But in the macaque or monkey studies, those monkeys that were given PEP for 28 days, there was no transmission at all. So that is probably the reason really why it is effective. Now, with regards to PrEP, I think most people already know it's actually medications prior to the sexual exposure and not like PEP, where it started within the first 22 hours. So we want to get those drug levels at the exposed mucosal sites. Interestingly, it's the same drug as PEP, but the important thing is that it's been on the PBS and it can be prescribed by any medical practitioner or nurse practitioner. As far as effectiveness is concerned, Worldwide studies have shown decreased rates in HIV infection where the PrEP coverage is very good. And I think you have already mentioned Australia, the annual number of HIV diagnosis attributed to a decrease in notifications of Australian-born MSM. But PrEP is obviously not getting to certain populations because there hasn't been any decline in HIV in our indigenous population, heterosexual people, particularly those born overseas. So it's about 95 to 99% effective, especially if you take it every day continuously. If you don't take it, it's not going to be very effective. The cisgender MSM can take event-based PrEP, which is basically not every day, but that's the only group that studies have actually shown that it's effective. It's a 2-1-1 preparation. And with that group, it's about 86% effective if it's taken properly. How do we decide who to offer PEP and PrEP to? And are there guidelines around this? Very, very much so. And I think we will be talking a lot about these guidelines. These are the ASHRAM guidelines, and they are very, very accessible and very good. Just to summarize, basically, whether you prescribe PEP, which is the post-exposure prophylaxis, it does depend on the exposure. And the exposure could be whether there is anal sex, whether it's receptive or not, whether there's ejaculation or not, shared needles, for example, and also mucous membrane contacts. It also does depend on whether the source is actually HIV positive or not, whether that source is actually on treatment and whether the viral load is undetectable. Now we know that people who live with HIV who are on treatment will not transmit the virus. So in actual fact, PEP is not required. However, when people come to us, they are not sure sometimes if the source is actually taking their medication, if they are viral or undetectable. And if that is the case, and if they are unsure, we would give them PEP in that situation. But I do want to stress that they cannot transmit the virus if they are undetectable. Most of the scenarios that most people will actually meet is if the status of the source is HIV unknown. 
Now, we normally only give two drugs that, again, we don't give everyone that, depending on the side of exposure. It depends on whether the source is, is a man who has sex with men, whether the source comes from a high prevalence country, whether there's concurrent STIs, trauma, or blood. So we might consider two drug PEP from that point of view. I do also want to stress in that situation, PEP is not required, for example, from receptive or insertive vaginal sex, mucous membrane, and discarded needles from the community. So just because there's a needle stick injury from the community, the risk is very, very, very low. So it's, it's not actually required. So that's PEP. PrEP, I think it depends on whether the patient comes to you and asks for it. If they do, please do listen to them because they are usually very concerned whether it's perceived or it's a true risk or not. Do take heed and truly consider it. Sometimes the clinician may decide that PrEP should be offered because of a history of high-risk behaviours. So the group of people that we need to offer and to consider are gay men or other men who have sex with men, consider an indigenous population, should they present, people from high prevalence countries, travelers and mobile workers, intravenous drug use, also from custodial settings, and trans and gender diverse people. I would strongly suggest that GPs potentially assess for suitability of PrEP. Thank you so much for that background. That's great. And Lane, are you able to fill us in on what GPs actually need to order to prescribe mm. PrEP and how much does it cost? Very good question. So starting as Carol has said, the ASHAM guidelines are fantastic. Mm. And whenever I am showing GPs or teaching GPs how to get involved in PrEP, I think it's really important to just take the time to download those guidelines because they're very thorough, they're accessible, they explain very nicely how to monitor the PrEP regime. And really, essentially, the big thing to remember is that when we're starting PrEP, there are two things. One, it's really important to do a full sexual health screen. And included in that, we do need to take an HIV test. Now, sometimes in practice, I've had people who've come with an HIV result that's only a couple of days old. And that's actually addressed in the guidelines of what to do in those situations. But to keep it simple, we need to do an HIV test at baseline. The second thing that we want to do is to check renal function, which is very important as well. That's something that we're going to be testing throughout the course of PrEP, and we do need a baseline EGFR. It is practice what I normally do with my patients as well is at that baseline to get a urine test to check their baseline protein creatinine ratio as well, which is also in the guidelines starting prep is quite straightforward when you follow the guidelines and another very good resource that i would take gps to is the think gp website they actually have a prep online course which you can get cpd points for doing it directs you to the asham guidelines and it's very good it takes probably between an hour and two hours. It gives you some excellent resources and really covers in a really systematic way the sort of patients that might present and how you might approach those in practice. So when it comes down to cost, 
Very important to note that prescribing PrEP does not require a GP to be an S100 prescriber. In other words, as GPs may be aware, if patients with HIV come in for regular medication prescribing, unless that GP is what's called an S100 prescriber, which means that you have to have done an accredited course typically run through ASHAM, you will not be able to prescribe HIV medication, but, and that's very important, but that does not apply to PrEP. Any GP can prescribe PrEP. And it is an authority prescription, so it is important to note. Roughly speaking, off the PBS, most people would expect to pay about $40 a month for PrEP if you went into a pharmacy. And that said, there are considerations. So people who have a concession card with Centrelink or who are Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander may be entitled to a reduction in that fee. The other thing is there is actually a good website called pan.org.au, which gives some other options to not only accessing PrEP through pharmacies, through the typical methodology of the PBS prescriptions, but there's also the online stores and it is recommended through various different Australian medical groups. And it's definitely worth checking out. When we talk about PEP, one thing I would put out there as a consideration, if we're working in country areas, we don't often have the benefit with PEP of time. Where with PrEP, the pharmacy doesn't have access to a medication. We might be able to get it ordered in and there's a few days. As Carol's very rightly said, we have a 72-hour window. The quicker we start it, the better. So typically in that situation, I think it's very important for country hospitals to make sure that they have at least a stock of some of those medications. In the case that they need to start it, we're going to need to start as soon as we can. You're quite right that PEP cannot be obtained in all A&E departments, and they should be all the country, South Australia. It appears to be some that are available, some that are not, and we need to advocate basically to ensure that there is availability in, in the country because PEP is actually free of charge, and whereas PrEP, they actually have to pay. So that's something that we need to advocate for to ensure all country hospitals, A&E, have access to that so that their patients can start on it. So that's great to know that there's those guidelines there that can follow through how to monitor your clients. So what drugs do you actually prescribe for PrEP? The typical PrEP that we use now is the tenofovir with the emtricitabine combination. And it used to be, sometimes there's some confusion because it used to be under a brand called Truvada, which is no longer continued. But that was the brand as opposed to the medication. That's the typical combination we use for both PEP and PrEP in Australia as per the ASHAM guidelines at this stage. Have you had any issues with supply in country areas? My experience has been that both in country and urban areas that pharmacists can order the medication within a few days. Certainly within urban areas, it can be an overnight order. It is an accessible medication. And as I say, if timing is not as urgent, certainly using the pan.org.au website to look at other options, which might be a little bit more delayed, but look at sort of online pharmacies and that could also be an option. I probably should mention in there that sometimes we do see patients who are not Australian residents or Australian citizens and so don't have a Medicare card. And in that case, obviously, PrEP can be quite a different expense to somebody who gets it through the PBS subsidy. So those online sites, as well as looking through their health insurance, can be very, very useful and a very good way of accessing the medication. I can just add to that. I think that's really important, Lane. The thing about the importation is that there are quite a few 
patients who come to us who don't have a Medicare card. And so that's the, the way that they can get it. And it's quite reasonable. In actual fact, in some cases, it's even a bit cheaper than, than the PBS. I think it's about 23 US dollars a month. The thing to remember also about that, if they're going to import it, because of the current postal COVID situations, it does take a little while for the prep to come. So if anything happens, they need to be covered by PEP first, and then transition basically to a PrEP. So it's something worth thinking about. Carol, did you want to speak a little bit more about PrEP on demand? This cannot be used on females or intravenous drug use where daily PrEP is actually required in order to get levels that are important to protect. So with the on-demand PrEP, some people may choose that they don't want to be on a tablet every day. And what they may consider is that if they can predict when their sexual contact is going to be like. So there is an issue of loss of spontaneity. But some people choose, look, I'm only going to have sex at a particular time. So if they actually do do that and they know when it is, they can take two tablets two to 24 hours before that particular sexual contact itself. And then it is followed by one tablet 24 hours later and another tablet at 48 hours. So there's a total of four tablets. So if they continue to actually have sex each night, they have to make sure that they've got two extra tablets following the last sexual act. Now, it is 86% effective. We know that if taken appropriately by cisgender men who have sex with men, there are some men who choose to actually do that because their sexual contact may not be as regular as others and they have a choice, basically. I think sometimes taking a tablet every day may be quite difficult for some people, but obviously they are able to follow up which way they want to go. So that's what I mean on demand or event-based prep. Is there a fact sheet that you give to these clients? Because it's a little bit complicated, I can imagine. We've printed out this in Adelaide Sexual Health and we've got these fact sheets to actually hand out to them. What we also do, besides these fact sheets, we also hand out sheets on the PAN website, Lane, that you had actually mentioned, and also a list of GPs as well who have an interest and who are able to actually prescribe PrEP. So the key thing is, and I keep on going back to this, is to give people choice of where to actually go. And the other thing, obviously, the ASHRAM guidelines would help as well if they needed more information. And one thing I might just add in if it's of any interest, because I think sometimes for GPs, the mm. question comes mm. up, how do we work this into our day-to-day workflow? Yeah. You know, 15-minute yeah. appointment and what are we supposed to do, like, you know, with some of these things? And then patients ask about billing and that. So look, in terms of how to set this up, everybody does it differently. I've set up a little bit of my own workflow, which I find works quite well. And when I have my patients who are on PrEP, because of the fact that the prescriptions come with a basically a three-month supply, it's a really good option if what I do with my patients is I educate them up front about how on a three-monthly basis, we will typically offer an STI screen. Now, guidelines do say sometimes you can stretch that out to six months, but as a general practice, I do like to try to at least offer that every three months. At their PrEP review appointment, they actually leave not only with a prescription, but with a pathology form for their next test in three months, a little sticker on it with a reminder to say, have this done two weeks before your appointment, which means that basically when they come in, they have their results appointment and we do their PrEP 
prescription at the same time? Because I think what sometimes happens is people come in to get their prescription and then you say, oh, you better do an STI test, come back in a week and get your results. So that's two appointments. So that's more of a GP kind of workflow thing that will work quite well in a general practice setting. We find it works really nicely. The patients really respond well to it. And obviously it also then encourages the fact that I think we need to remember that PrEP is fantastic, but it covers HIV. And we are not just dealing with HIV and sexual health. We are dealing with a lot of other infections. We also want to encourage that we don't use PrEP as a, a silver bullet to protect us for everything because it won't. As Carol has mentioned, we're dealing with higher rates of syphilis at the moment in South Australia. We are seeing other infections as well. So I think that there are a few little tricks that you can do there. Another very good resource as well to point out who have been just terrific is actually a pharmacy. It's the pharmacy in Adelaide called the Centre Pharmacy. They're based at the markets and they specialise in HIV. They are wonderful. I tell you, as a GP, if you ever have any questions or you even need to direct a local country pharmacy to ask questions, that would be a terrific resource. Thank you for actually mentioning that because it's vitally important. I just do want to stress again that just because someone is on PrEP doesn't mean that they are going to be protected against the other STIs. And that's why I agree with you. We do encourage three monthly because there is a possibility that there could be more sexual partners or higher rates of un unprotected sex. So in Adelaide Sexual Health Centre, currently, as you know, Elaine, we're trying to involve our GP colleagues to be involved in PrEP, then the reason being is our workload basically from the syphilis epidemic that's actually coming up is just markedly increased. And I do want to stress, it's not just a syphilis epidemic in men who have sex with men, but in the heterosexual population basically as well. So thank you so much for actually pointing that out. Thank you both so much for all that really helpful information. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I guess my final thing is, as a GP, I can't stress enough what a rewarding area it has been to work, not only in PrEP, but in sexual health and HIV medicine. It's something that I never probably considered at med school that I would find myself in, but I am so thankful that I am because it is one of the most wonderful areas I get to work in with brilliant patients and colleagues and that. And I really, really stress to GPs, don't discount this as a really wonderful area of medicine to work in. And the impact that you can have for the community is just so important. And certainly I think I like to really use this as a way of approaching now a general patient cohort to try to destigmatize and normalize all areas of sexual health. PrEP is one component of it. So I really would strongly advise people to get behind the initiative. It is so easy to learn and it is a really, really wonderful area of medicine to be involved in. Thank you so much and thank you for listening out there. hope you found this discussion helpful and you can head to our website www.shinesa.org.au and have a look at some other podcasts and webinars to access more free education on sexual health topics. Thank you. Sexual Health Matters is a podcast produced by Shine SA under funding by Country SA Primary Health Network. For more information about sexual health, please visit www.shinesa.org.au.